Welcome to Explore the Space. We're digging into healthcare issues that matter most. Our guests and conversations mine these issues for perspective and answers. There is a gulf between healthcare and our communities. This is the place to talk about it. Now here's your host, Dr. Mark Shapiro. Welcome back to Explore the Space. For those who've listened to a number of my podcasts, we get into lots of different subjects that are sort of related to healthcare, the human experience, uh, how these things all intertwine and are interwoven. One of the things that I really like to get into is to talk with people who can really put themselves out on the far reaches of what a human body, what a human mind, what a human being is able to accomplish under the most sort of grueling physical and mental challenges. Jessica DeRee is a general surgeon. Uh, we were actually residents together when I was doing my internal medicine training. She was doing her surgical training. As her careers evolved, she has also put herself out there and has begun not only competing and finishing, but doing incredibly well in some of the toughest races on the planet. Uh, so she has joined us today, and we're going to get into just a little bit around how this works, how it happens, what it, what can a human being actually do when they decide they just want to do something. So Jessica, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. So take us back a little bit. Well, first, let's let's start with what just happened. So a few weeks ago, you competed in Ultraman Florida. So first, tell us what Ultraman is, because this is something that most people may not have heard of. If they've heard of it, they may have a sense of what it is. And I think that when they hear what you actually did, they're going to be stunned. So what is Ultraman Florida? Sure. Ultraman Florida is a long-distance triathlon. Uh, most people are familiar with Ironman distances, which total uh, 140.6 miles. Uh, Ultraman Florida is a three-day race, which totals 321.6 miles. Um, basically, the sports are broken down into a 6.2-mile swim, a 263 three-mile bike that's broken up in specific portions over two days. And then the third day involves a double marathon, which is a 52.4-mile run to total out the 321.6 miles. And this isn't a relay. This isn't a team-based event. This is Jessica DeRee going up against those markers, accomplishing, and moving on to the next one. That's right. Uh, there are no teams or relays. It's just you out there. It is a self-supported race, but you can't have a crew. That can, uh, you know, give you nutrition and keep an eye on you considering uh, the length of time that you're out there for safety purposes. So now you're out on these bizarrely difficult distances that I don't think most people would ever dream to do in the course of maybe a month or two of training. You're doing it over the span of a couple of days. Was the genesis of this something where a long time ago you had said, you know what, I want to start doing triathlons and let's see what I can build up to? Or did you at some point have an epiphany that says, I need to just get out there and get into these really, really difficult races? What was the sort of synapse closure that got you all the way downstream to the Ultraman Florida? Sure. Uh, you know, after finishing residency, you're kind of looking for some way to exercise since you ignore it for so long. <laughs> yes, <And> so, you do. <laughs> <laughs> I started, I started taking up running on, uh, you know, a recommendation of my friend and I started to do some half marathons, which I enjoyed. And then eventually you're always looking for something a little more difficult. So I did marathons for a while and enjoyed those. And I'd always been a swimmer in college. Um, and so from that point, someone's like, you should try a triathlon. However, I never really learned how to ride a bike that well. Um, so I signed up for a triathlon, not even knowing really how to ride a bicycle. 
um, which I then purchased and figured out how to ride about two weeks before the event. Um, (laughs) It didn't go that great, but I really fell in love with the sport itself at that point. And then once I became, you know, more comfortable with things and started training, um, the longer distances seemed more appealing for me. Um, I did a half Ironman, which is a 70.3 mile event. I did that in 2012. Um, and then I bumped up to the Ironman event later in uh, 2013, which I enjoyed. But um, it is a uh, it is a one day event. And when you're done, I felt like I could possibly do more. Um, and I wanted to see kind of how far I could go. So I started looking at longer online for longer distance events. And I came across Ultraman Florida. You have a very interesting overlay of experiences where I think that there is a lot of connective tissue. You did one of the toughest types of training that anyone could hope to do, general surgery, mm-hmm. long hours, tough shifts, stress, physical and mental, emotional pain and, and uh, uh, fatigue at a very, very intense level. You're still a general surgeon, but now you're doing these races that take the same demand on your body i would imagine is there a con- is there a connection between the two is does one help strengthen the other i think surgery does have a lot to do with the mental training needed for these longer distance events with um surgery obviously if things aren't going your way and you're in <laughs> and things aren't going according to plan you just can't stop you mm-hmm. have to keep going no matter what and i think that is very uh, you know can uh, overlap and plays well with these ultra distance events because once you start letting your mind wander and the I can'ts and what ifs come in, then uh, your race becomes a lot more difficult and troublesome. And so I think that is very good mental training that I've had from being a surgery resident for sure. That's really interesting though. So do you think that most people that put themselves into these situations of extreme athletic endurance sorts of things, do you think that they need to have something in their background where like you, you just say, look, if you're in the operating room and and you get into a difficult patch, you can't quit. There's no choice. You have to press on. Do you think most people have something like that in their back pocket that helps them remember, hey, you've done this before. You can't quit. It's not about whether you want to quit or not. It's just not an option. Yeah. I I know a lot of the kind of ultra competitors personally, and there are a good number in in healthcare, which seems to make sense to me. Uh But there are also just some outliers too that I think that are just looking for something physically demanding. Um, But there are, there are a few, I think that have a similar background to me, but it's definitely an advantage that I have. So take me into the, just the concept of what fatigue means to you. Obviously as a surgical resident, hour after hour after hour, I would imagine still in private practice, hour after hour after hour. And then in these races, again, it's just, it's a grind. It's a slog. You know, it's, it's not always lots of people cheering. It's not always noisy. It can just be, you got to put the time and the hours and just grind it out. But all of the stuff is going to be, I think what most of us would conceptualize as being fatiguing or tiring. But when you think about the concept of fatigue, what is that for you? I think fatigue is much more of a, a mental uh, thing than a physical thing. I think when you feel physical fatigue, um, you can kind of go past it as long as you're mentally in that spot. But, you know, when a lot of things are pulling you in different directions, like work and training or maybe family issues, I think that's when you see the real kind of stress and fatigue set in. And that's what I kind of consider fatigue is when kind of you're being pulled in too many different directions. So when you are doing a race like this, it's kind of interesting that that's the biggest thing for you. When the Ultraman, you do this, you're being pulled in several directions. You have to run, you have to swim, you mm-hmm. have to ride. I mean, would 
how do you overcome that barrier of, you know, you're, you're swimming, maybe you're getting tired and to not think, Oh my gosh, not only do I have to keep swimming, but then I have to get out of the pool, get out of the, not the pool, sorry, get out of the water, <laughs> you know, change gear, get new equipment and then move on to the next phase. Sure. The, uh, you know, the, I think one of the main things is you never want to look too far ahead in these types of races and say, Oh my gosh, I have to do a 52 mile run tomorrow. It's because <laughs> that's not going to help you. It's just yeah. more kind of being in the moment as best as you can. Um, like for example, when I was on the swim, uh, you know, there was a kayaker next to you again for safety and my husband often kayaks for me. And so he can see sometimes if I'm getting a little anxious or things by my stroke and he just, you know, says to me, this is just another swim for you. And that's how you kind of got to think of it is just, you've done this a million times in training. Uh, you know, I have nutrition plans that are set out basically by every 10 minutes for all those three, you know, three days. And so you just have to kind of focus on what's coming up next. What am I supposed to be doing to make this a success for me? Um, Is it the act of sort of breaking it into small, easily digested bits makes it more manageable? Absolutely. So when I only have to think about what's going on the next 10 minutes or where my next turn's coming up, makes it a lot more manageable. Is that a skill that you can subsequently parlay when you're about to start a, you know, a case that you know is going to take some time and will, you know, test your dexterity, test your depth perception, you know, test your problem solving where you just say, Hey, let's just one piece at a time. Does that sort of mesh nicely? I think that's very true. You know, sometimes when we're doing surgery and reoperations on people that are have, you know, basically a ton of scar tissue or disaster in there, you look at first and you say, oh, this looks terrible. But then you piece by piece, you start working at it and you eventually get through it and you say, okay, we're done with that part. What's coming next? And Uh so, you know, I think focusing on those small steps makes the big steps much easier. So here's something that I wanted to get into then when you have that sort of approach and it's not only something that you're good at, but it sounds like it's just instinctual. Now you've been doing it for so long. And obviously two of the biggest parts of your life, your sporting career and your, your career as a surgeon, are you able to, to leverage that when people ask you, Hey, am I, how am I going to get through this? I'm, I'm going to go have surgery today. Or, Hey, I have a family member who's ill and, and it's been a real challenge or another athlete who says, Jessica, I'm hurting. I don't know if I can go on. Are you able to sort of leverage the depth of this skill and almost it's probably like a reflex now to kind of coax people to approach and then surpass what they might perceive as their own limit. I think so. I mean, a lot of times, you know, for example, during this race, you do see people on the road, although it not be very frequent because the race is so spread out. But, you know, if you see someone hurting, you say, Oh, don't worry. This easy part's coming up next. Or, you know, we're at the, we're at a stop sign, have a drink, let's regroup. And, and go ahead. And so if there is a lot of encouragement that happens, not just from my end, but from other people giving me encouragement too. And it, it does, it makes a huge difference out there. And it's the same thing with, a, you know, some family member that's sick, uh, just giving them maybe a little bit of information and just a smile or just trying to take the stress off them a little bit and just be like, Hey, things are going to be fine. No matter what happens. I think that helps in, in both realms, both sur- realms, both surgical and uh, in the endurance world. Can it be difficult to overlay a career uh, as a as an active, busy general surgeon and as someone who not only com- competes frequently but has to subsequently train and maintain and all of these sorts of things? Are there enough hours in the day to, to get done all that needs doing? Sometimes there are not. Yeah. Um, I have a very I do have a coach um, who is very understanding of my job. And he has basically the way we map things out is that he actually asks for my work schedule because my days are variable depending on if I'm on call or if I'm on clinic. Maybe I have a 
a couple hours in the morning versus evening. And he will actually kind of map things out for me uh, in a way that's more helpful rather than a rigid schedule. Um, and so my training schedule comes directly from my work schedule and the hours that I have. Um, on the weekends, those hours become much longer. Um, sometimes I do have some partners that will pick up extra calls for me or cover for me, which is helpful. Um, but sometimes I just have to miss workouts because a patient needs to go back to the operating room or someone's not doing as well as anticipated. And I think, uh, just that does stress me out obviously, but I think understanding that and having a coach that, you know, reminds me that one day is not going to make me or break me is a, is a good thing uh, to have in my back pocket. It's also, I think a, a great lesson for all of us when we think about balance as a physician or in any sort of profession that you do sort of have to think about what is the engine, what is the furnace that fuels the train, right? right. And for us as physicians, that's first. So mm -hmm. whenever we're starting another activity, that activity is great. Having a podcast, it's wonderful. Good fun. Love it. The engine that drives all of these things is focusing on trying to be a solid, competent, patient, caring physician, attorney, architect, artist, whatever it may be, that that's the piece that drives it. Does that, do you see people where that spectrum or that balance can kind of swing a little bit the one way or the other? I do. Uh, you know, there are some people I think that kind of compromise either, you know, family time or work time, uh, you know, and they're just training all the time. And for me, this training and these events are supposed to be fun. Although for most people, this doesn't sound like fun. Um, <laughs> when it comes down to it, it's supposed to be fun. And if it's not fun, uh, then I don't want to do it. And so for me, kind of, I know work needs to come first and my patients need to come first. I mean, that's the primary goal on things. And then my, my family as well. And so those things need to kind of be in balance for everything else to be enjoyable. But I have seen friends and confidants that when things aren't in balance, you know, everything suffers. Yeah. And so you really need to make sure you have the, the more important things aligned first. Do you have sort of a, you're a surgeon. Do you have a checklist that you might use to sort of say, Hey, am I keeping things in tune? Obviously I want to achieve as much as possible as an athlete. I want to be a part of my family and be interactive with my friends mm -hmm. and my colleagues. But I also need to make sure that, again, I am doing everything I can to be the best possible surgeon I can be. Do you do you have a way to kind of keep track of that? I do. I mean, I, I keep track of my cases. And if there if I do have waiting lists for clinic, I try and open up extra things or, you know, get people moved around. That way, everyone's kind of taken care of. In that regard, I try and, uh, my husband, and I try and cook together often, at least so that's some time that we can spend, uh, together, um, to try and like, you know, do things, uh, you know, that need to get done anyway. So I think having those kind of things in order, um, makes the training easier and it makes me able to kind of, you know, pigeonhole everything where it needs to be. So there's this, there's this, uh, there's this wonderful interplay here. There's the part where you have, identified and exceeded limit after limit after limit to now you're doing these unbelievably rigorous activities. There's the sort of the bucket of maintaining the balance to make sure you can do your best at all of these things, but obviously focusing on, Hey, I'm a surgeon first, mm -hmm. but then we get to this third bucket that I love. It's the competitive one. <laughs> yeah. The Ultraman is, it, this isn't a fun run. This is, this is competitive, right? You're out there to win. Um, I was hoping to, uh, you know, get at least in the top three and I did end up being the female champion this year. Um, so I was very excited about that. So I am a competitive person by nature. Thank yeah, you. That, that is a tremendous achievement. Uh, yeah. And it, then, it, you know, I thought this would be the last time I do it, but then it's like, Hey, I won. What else can I do? <laughs> you know? So we'll, we'll see. I'm giving myself a little rest for now. Right, <laughs> we'll right. see how that goes. One of the things about these extreme races 
that I also just find endlessly fascinating. And I, I really would, I want your take on this. There's something about these long distances over long, over long distances over extended periods of time that somehow levels the playing field between the genders. Um, I mean, you look at the Ultraman results list, you were the first woman to finish, and you also, frankly, I mean, hammered a bunch of very talented, <laughs> fit men. Level playing field, no handicap. What do you think it is about this? And, and you know, for me, in some of my earlier podcasts, I had my friends on who competed in the Badwater 135, and I was their crew chief, and we talked about this. You know, the, the Badwater is a race where some years, no ha- no handicap, no, no nothing, women win. And mm-hmm. there are, it's hard to think of other sports where that happens when there's zero handicap, where on any given day, Jessica DeRee is going to hammer everybody. <laughs> what is it when we get into these distances, when we get into these times, when we get into these challenges that levels that playing field a little bit? Well, I do think that the longer the event is, obviously the strength aspect of it becomes less important, which is a big kind of differentiator between male and female sports. Mm -hmm. I clearly can't sprint as fast as all those guys that Mm -hmm. I beat. Um, However, I do have the endurance and the the training that I've spent time kind of working on to be able to go at a, you know, relatively quick rate for long periods of time. Um, And I do think that that is kind of the equalizer over time. With swimming, you will see that a lot of women in long distances can swim faster, just as fast, you know, as men. Mm-hmm. Um, typically with biking, especially with hills and this course being a hillier course on the second day, that's where I would potentially lose time to men considering that my leg strength isn't as big as a guy, like getting up and down those hills. However, when all of that strength stuff comes later in the race, they're already exhausted. Um, you know, from kind of pushing themselves the whole day rather than me who kind of hung back, took it easy. And then when I got to the hill part said, okay, now I need to get things going. I like that you use the phrase, take it easy because that, <laughs> I mean, there's taking it easy and then there's taking it easy. I don't know, <laughs> but I guess that's, that, that's it, right? You have to have, you have to mentally be able to think to yourself, Hey, that was mellow. That was that 20 mile stretch. Wasn't so bad. Right. You have to kind of, when in these races, you have to feel like there's a point where you're not pushing it. Uh-huh. And even if someone's passing you, you're just like, it's just automatic and you're like a robot. You're like, I'm just riding my bike. I don't care who goes by me. I don't care, you know, what's happening because I know later on I'm going to able to run as fast or outrun of these people. And that's seen a lot of times on the Ironman circuit where, you know, you'll be a woman and be out of the water relatively quickly. And then these guys go flying by you um, on the bike, you know, huffing and puffing. And I basically just look at them and say, hey, I'll see you later on the run. <laughs> yeah, and, that's and then when we get to the run, then it's, you know, time uh, for me to pass them and, you know, give them some encouragement. But I think that's a pretty common thing that men being so competitive do. They just try to go, go, go at a very high, you know, intensity. But with this, you kind of have to lay back and kind of play the whole week you know, the three days, even is there a different level of competition at these races between age groups, genders, previous history, or is it, Hey, everyone's at the start line at the same time. Everyone wants to win. There's no other, there's no other driving factors. You know, what's interesting with, with this event specifically is a lot of people, there are some people there to win and do their best, but a lot of people are there, are just there for the experience. Yeah. And it's really about, we kind of become a family over the three days between the crews and the, and the racers because you get a lot, spend a lot of time together. And these are some moments where people have some of their lowest lows and highest highs. And then once you kind of experience this with people, um, they become your lifelong friends. And so, 
the goal, and I've told my crew this a million times, if someone else is hurting and it's not me, you leave me and you help them. And that is kind of the main just for everyone as far as that weekend. This isn't a humongous race. There are, you know, 37 competitors. And the goal is to get everyone past that finish line, no matter how fast or how slow they are or what kind of race they're having. And so with this event, that's one of the things that kind of drew me to it is there's a really kind of family aspect to it. Everyone starts the same time every day. We kind of say a little kind of, you know, encouraging kind of prayer type thing in the, you know, before we start each day. Um, and so we really kind of get to know each other, which is one, again, one of the reasons why I like this race uh, so much better than kind of the one day Ironman events, because that's all just competition and you don't really get to feel the spirit of people like you get to in this race, which is one of the reasons I really enjoy this race. I love that interplay of while you are in the midst of it, while you're in the midst of pain and fatigue and tired and hungry and whatever it is that you, everyone is getting outside of themselves to say, what can I be doing for the person that I can see up ahead is sitting down? Not my knee hurts, not my feet hurt. It's, Hey, what's up? What's up up here? Do they need ice? Do they need, do they need a word? Do they need a fist bump? Mm -hmm. Getting outside yourself. It's such a, it's such an amazing way to, probably improve your own performance, right? Right. And like I said, you just want everyone to get to the finish. And if you can help somebody, um, you know, if you see you're, you're doing better than somebody, sometimes that helps you out too. And you say, Hey, it's not as bad as it feels, uh, <laughs> right now. But you know, on the run, there was a guy that was running and he was so hot cause it was really warm that day. And I had tons of stuff with my crew, like wet sponges and ice. And I was like, you know, I just ye- yelled to them, like cool him down. Um, and you know, that's just kind of the, you know, attitude out there is help everyone and just, uh, get everyone across the finish line. Is it more with you? Obviously you're a physician. If you see someone in trouble, you're going to try to stop and support them. Or does it, it just spreads to everybody and everyone just says, this is the philosophy. This is the central dogma of what we're doing and we're all going to participate. It, it's the philosophy of the race. Basically yeah. every, everyone, no matter how you're doing, when people drive by and you're running, they ask, can I get you anything? There's never a moment where you feel like you're alone. Um, and I think that's why, uh, you know, so many people end up finishing the race, which is good. So then you mentioned, you see people hurting and stuff like that for you. You're out there for a long time. Obviously you did amazingly well. It, it's got to hurt. I mean, my, my friend, Josh <laughs> from the Badwater 135, he calls these things a suffer fest. So when you're out there and it's your knee and then it's your shoulder and your neck and your, your, you know, the back of your ankle is chafing on your sock, whatever it may be, is there, how do you push through it? Because it's, it's exhausting to be in pain. It's exhausting to be uncomfortable. And when you're, you know, it's two in the afternoon and you know, you've got five more hours to go and this is only day one. (laughs) Yeah. What are the buttons that you're able to push? To say, you know, it's, it's, I'm, I'm going to be fine. Right. The, you know, on the day one, I had a tough time, uh, with the bike because the wind was so strong mm-hmm. and we were riding into a headwind and we were on this, the roads aren't closed for these races. So there are cars flying by at 50 and 55 miles an hour, including trucks. And you're trying to fight ahead and across wind and these cars are next to you. And for me, that's terrifying. And so, um, Rather than pain, that mental kind of anxiety that builds up in your head just sometimes becomes too much. And so at one point I saw my crew and I just stopped and they're like, are you okay? I'm like, I just need a break. Like I just need to stop for a minute and kind of recollect my thoughts and 
just know that everyone is kind of in this boat with B. And so they're like, yes, everyone's hurting from the wind. You're almost out of it where you get to turn. Uh, so it won't be as bad. And so sometimes you just need to take a moment. And the same thing with the run. Yeah, things are chafing and you're hot and you're nauseous. And you just say, I'm going to make it to that next fire hydrant. Okay, and then I'll run from there. Maybe I'll be able to run far. Maybe I won't. But at least I know I'm going to get to that fire hydrant and then I'll kind of reassess. And again, I think it's just like breaking those kind of pain things down um, is helpful. And I think a lot of times if you just, if you stop um, completely, I think those things can get worse. But if you have a small, you know, goal, or if you're just going to take a minute's rest or just get to the next fire hydrant, then at least it's, you know, tolerable at that point. It's so interesting that kind of this idea of compartmentalization and breaking these things up into little pieces and say, let's just, let's just get through this next thing. It has such application for the practice of medicine when you're working with someone who's ill. Do you find that you share much of your experience or your knowledge in this, which is totally removed from medicine? And for some people, they may not get it. But do you share, hey, this is what I've learned doing something really challenging. And let's talk about it here so I can help you break up this experience of, you know, a, a, several days in the hospital after a big surgery. And we can break it into pieces and understand that you're going to get through it. Right. I think that's, you know, I do a lot of esophageal surgery and those are kind of after those kind of two week hospital stays on average. And, you know, I kind of try to break it down with them and say, Hey, the first few days, you're not going to do much. Then we're going to check some studies and see how you're doing. And then we'll go from there. And then eventually we'll get you to this end point. And I think giving them kind of a guideline, um, helps them digest things as well. And I think that's the same when I meet new cancer patients, like breast cancer patients, when they come in, they don't understand, am I going to have surgery? Am I going to have radiation or chemo? What's the whole order in this? And how is my life going to be, you know, turned upside down? And I think yeah, and when they're asking you these questions, they are on, I mean, they're going a million miles an hour, you know, you they can, are, you can just see it. Yeah. So I basically, even before I, I'm there to, you know, talk to them about the surgery aspect, but usually we're the first people that meet them. So I spend a good amount of time just saying, okay, this is what's going to happen from this point. And this is probably how your next weeks to months are going to go. And I think then they actually have a grasp on what's going on instead of this kind of, you know, whirlwind of emotions and fear and, uh, you know, just the unknown that consumes them, I think, in, in the initial stages of diagnosis and treatment. Yeah, no one likes to be in that place where they don't know what's going to happen and also maybe feel like they don't have a lot of control over what's going to happen. Absolutely. So then when you're now off on your own and you're on to the next race, do you have to then say, hey, you've done this before, you have some control, you have some knowledge, does it make it any easier or is it still just a whirlwind? No, it, it definitely makes it easier. I remember, you know, prepping for this race being like, you know, talking to my coach, I'm like, you know, I don't know if I can win because this person's here and this person's here. And he said, you know what, you're in control of your own race and you're the only one in control of it. And if they slip, you're going to be there. And you're going to be able to, you know, take it. And so you got to kind of remember that you only can be in control of so much. Um, but those things you're in control of, you better kind of take the bull by the horns and control them. <laughs> Absolutely. So now you've you've done Ultraman Florida. It's it's you know we're still in the winter. The, the, it's just going to get a little bit warmer, and the race season is probably going to pick up. I would imagine, right? Yes. You know, most people are actually. This is kind of the start of the triathlon season starting okay. now, but this is kind of the end of my last year season. Um, cause I rolled a, you know, an Ironman performance then into this race and training. And so, um, I'm going to be taking, you know, about six weeks of kind of easier training uh, and then get back into things. 
so what's next? We've, uh. you've obviously shattered a, a tremendous number of personal limits, broken through thresholds. It's probably becoming a habit that, you know, <laughs> I have to identify a threshold and step on it uh, on my yes. way to the next one. So what's next? So, um, I, We'll be running Boston in April, Boston Marathon. Mm-hmm. I did was able to qualify this year during my training, which was a huge kind of confidence booster for me. Um, and then I'll be actually doing my first race in Europe. Um, I'll be doing uh, Challenge Roth. This is one of Europe's oldest uh, iron distance triathlons in July. And then I'm going to work on trying to actually uh, qualify for Kona in the Ironman uh, distance later in the year, most likely in a race in Cozumel in Mexico probably as my primary attempt at that. And so as you're moving through these, are you also mentally kind of calibrating goals, you know, things you want to achieve, how, how well you want to do is one going to feed the next. Is it kind of a constant mathematic of, I want to peak when I get to race X. So I get out there and I crush it. Exactly. Yeah. So I know that I'm not going to try and peak until November again. So everything I do before then, I will, I'm obviously competitive and will want to do my best, but I know I won't be training up to the point where, where I will be in November. So what's November? November would be uh, trying to qualify for Kona. Oh, okay. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, this always parlays into other things, obviously Ultraman world championships is on my radar. Um, but again, with my coach, he knows if I want to go, I want to win. Um, and so I'm going to take probably at least a year or two to kind of prep for that. But in the meantime, I'm going to be trying to, you know, work on getting a a Kona spot for Ironman. How important is it for you now, as you obviously move forward and you're planning, you know, at least a year in advance, if not more that you've bankrolled this set of skills around, I can, I can get through my limits. I can identify and exceed my pain thresholds, my fatigue thresholds. I can compartmentalize. I can still have empathy when I'm out there. How much does that sort of, of feed your feeling that, you know, success is, is still, there's still more to come. Um, I think it's, it feeds into it tremendously. I mean, now I, you know, when I did this race, uh, you know, a year ago, I was very unconfident, didn't have a plan. And when I did it this year, I came with a set plan and I executed it basically to the letter. And so I know that I now have the confidence that I can do this um, and still and kind of push myself. And so I think now with the training, I've gotten through it successfully. I definitely know I can do it again. Um, and you always know you can get better. There's always somewhere you can improve. Yeah. It's so fascinating with these events because that concept that you were just saying that you have a set plan, you, you, you know, you use experience to create it and then you execute it. That is generalizable to so much of life, whether it's work or sports or anything to just say, Hey, let's make a plan and let's execute it. And it's an experience. And, and that's one of the things I just love about these events is that it leverages a common thread in an uncommon challenge. Yeah, absolutely. It really does. I mean, anything you really want to excel in life, you need a general plan. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so if you don't have that, you're kind of left thinking what's next rather than just focusing on what you can do in, in the time you have um, w- with trying to incorporate everything else in your life. And I think that, yeah, it's definitely it carries over from surgery, uh, you know, to your career, to your family, everything. Well, whatever is going to be next for you is going to be absolutely fascinating. We're going to absolutely be following along. If people want to identify the races that you're going to do, if they want to see how you're doing, is there a a, a kind of a clearinghouse website where they can see how various competitors and various races are doing? 
Um, well, as far as, you know, Ultraman, there is Ultraman Florida website and the Ultraman World Championship websites. As far as for me specifically, I I would love to have a blog and do everything, but I just don't have time. That's one of those things <laughs> that have fallen by the wayside. Fair enough. Um, I do, though, um, if anyone wants to check out Facebook, I'm there under Jessica Duree. I keep my race schedule and uh, all my antics about racing kind of on there, uh, as well as family life. And so if anyone wants to follow me, they're more than welcome to do, it, do so that way. <laughs> my, my favorite picture from the Ultraman was not the one of you crossing the finish line. It was the one of you right after where you were helping someone with a foot injury. Yeah, you know, uh, it never ends. I definitely had the best first aid kit out there on yeah. the course. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm not yeah. going to say where I got it from, but yeah. uh, the, you know, the blisters are just incredible on some yeah. of these people. I came through without any blisters, but that was a friend of mine. And once I saw her foot, I'm like, you need some work before we go anywhere. And so uh, popping blisters for a surgeon is definitely rewarding. So I didn't mind. Yeah, there you go. Well, Jessica, thanks so much for joining us. This was fantastic. Thanks so much. I had a great time. Thank you for listening to Explore the Space. Visit us on our website, explorethespaceshow.com. And please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at ETS Show. And you can email Dr. Shapiro by writing to mark at explorethespaceshow.com.